Welcome everybody to What Would It Cost Florida. My name is Niels Decker, your host. We are today here with our special guest and Spark Financial Group's own Ethan Foote. He is our Director of Mortgage Operations here in the Florida location. Welcome and we're so excited to have you on. And Thank you, I'm glad to be here. Before I ask the question, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. I want to just say how how great it is to have you. Just not just sitting here, but how awesome it's been now that we've been about a month plus yeah. up and running in the box. We we used to, we <laughs> like to say and 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 working. And Ethan, um, you've you have a phenomenal background in mortgages and. I, I like to say the term you're a walking, you're a mortgage encyclopedia, a walking mortgage encyclopedia. I'll take that. Yeah, and I know you're humble, but uh, I, I really would love for you to tell the audience and people that are watching at home, you know, your background from having worked for big banks, having worked for independent companies, having worked for the government, so having been on both sides of, of, of not just the, the lender side and, and the mortgage broker world side, uh, having one for capital funds that also do lending, so residential, commercial, like I could go on and on, but I really wanted to bring that intro over to you. Oh, wow. Well, thank you for that introduction. I'm so glad to be a part of the team, guys. Um, so yeah, a little bit about me, and I, I hope I can live up to that <laughs> that big welcome, but uh, thank you, Nils. So a little bit about myself. I have been in the mortgage industry for 32 years. I started out as a uh, banking teller then progressed into assistant branch management where started doing commercial lending, residential lending. And from there, I left, followed a manager that I had, and she had suggested that I follow her to other mortgage companies where I basically moved up through the ranks. I originated, then moved from sales origination to operations as far as processing, and then from processing into actual underwriting where I was underwriting, approving loans, making decisions. And then from there, I decided to move into operations management, which encumbered secondary marketing, post-closing, closing, shipping, funding, warehousing. So pretty much ran the gamut as far as that. But as far as some of the companies that I've worked for, um, Countrywide Home Loans, which was acquired by Bank of America, ran their wholesale lending division out of Nashville, Tennessee for several years. Also, I had my own mortgage company for about six or seven years up until 2010, where we were a direct lender catering to all customers throughout the Southeast, uh, especially Florida. And then basically had left there, moved to Atlanta, Georgia, where I was at for about 20 years and um, essentially ran operations for Deutsche Bank as far as their direct retail and wholesale lending divisions and then moved over to Fannie Mae, uh, where I essentially was heading up all of their underwriting, underwriting quality control, working with them as far as supporting them with um, with lenders that they had where they were issuing repurchase requests. Basically, loans that had been underwritten and closed by lenders that basically defaulted. And essentially, we were trying to recoup those funds back to Fannie Mae. And from there, I went to another company where it kind of did the reverse on the other side. So those companies were being uh, pulled into litigation on 
behalf of Fannie Mae or by Freddie Mac or U.S. Department of Justice, where we were defending those clients, those lender clients, as far as their underwriting decisions that were made on those loans. And they would either go to litigation, arbitration, or some type of rebuttal litigation. And that's how I was involved with those guys. And so my last stint was with Groves Capital, where I was chief credit officer running all their credit operations and as far as their correspondent lending division, as well as getting that uh, division up and going as well. What's so cool, and I said a bit in the beginning, is like you've literally been on, on both sides and in different structures. So if it was more of a bank structure or independent company or your own or on the or where there was an aspect for its capital lending. When you look back at those 30 years, I mean, lots changed over, call it those decades. Uh, what were some of the most interesting or things that you see now uh, from how it used to be to where it is today, if it has to do with efficiency or, or other things that you might want to speak on? Sure. I think one of the biggest things that I've seen is post 2010, um, you know, I, I would say prior to 2010, the market had a ton of products here in the U.S. You had no income, no asset verification products, um, stated income verified asset programs. And so, you know, there was a ton of products out there, but that they weren't necessarily the best products in the long run. Yeah. And so we saw a lot of legislation after the housing collapse in 2010 that came about through the Dodd-Frank Act here in the United States, which basically said, if you're going to get a mortgage, you have to basically income qualify some way, somehow. Yeah. So that really changed the landscape as far as what we were seeing. We saw a lot of legislation. And so what I feel like it has done is that I feel as though it's secured more so the housing industry in the United States, whereas before there were just so many ups and downs as far as uncertainties. And basically a lot of these major hedge funds had invested in false securities as far as with those mortgages that they thought were sound and secure prior to 2010. And with that legislation, it's really changed the landscape. So it's created more so of a I would say more of a backstop as far as values not plummeting like they had, you know, pre 2010. So now you're seeing some contractions in the real estate market yeah. as far as rates going up, but you're still seeing somewhat of that demand. And what you're not seeing is that huge depreciation in values, with the exception of those cities just that exploded due to high tech as far as Silicon Valley, Austin, Texas, places like that. But by far and large, especially here in South Florida, you don't really see that, which is nice because South Florida has that draw as far as the weather, you know, as far as international businesses coming yeah, in. Florida is always the last to feel any major changes, if any changes at all in, in the country. True. Yeah, very true. And so that's very nice to see. Yeah, very interesting. So some of the, you know, what I'm hearing is that income verification, those are some of the main changes that happen. And um, I think, you know, when you look at America, when the structure that we have here, there's the secondary markets in Canada, we're not used to that, for example, and, and some other countries around the world are not. What do you see some of those advantages to that and disadvantages? Sure. Great question. So I would say one of the disadvantages is that it prohibits to an extent as far as pre-2000 type 10 days where you could basically say as an individual or as a business a private equity group, hey, I'm going to go ahead and invest in this. This just makes sense. Yeah. Whereas now there's a lot more regulation around that. And I would say the pro is that you always will have a continuous source of purchasing because you have your government sponsored entities such as Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, USDA, VA, FHA that are always going to serve as an outlet as long as you have 
basically those types of loans that fit within those guidelines and that box, if you will. So you're always going to have a purchaser of those loans. So that's great. So that's for conventional. Uh, speak a little bit about the non-QM. So. Um, and what that looks like and the advantages in that side of things. Glad to. So post-2010, as far as the Dodd-Frank Act and the legislation that happened, so lenders still were getting requests to or from borrowers as far as non-traditional products because there were a lot of products. Take, for example, your foreign nationals coming in that were interested in buying properties. Well, those typical conventional, if you will, vanilla products, they excluded those types of borrowers. Mm -hmm. So the non-QM realm has definitely opened up, especially as far as foreign nationals. Um, you know, for our Canadian neighbors, it's a fantastic program because, quite honestly, the programs that are offered now through the non-QM, which basically means you don't, you're not traditionally verifying income, maybe necessarily through T1s, T4s, W2s, tax returns. You might be verifying income through just the cash flow on the subject property, or just by your asset depletion, maybe you have X amount of dollars and we take that amount of dollars divided over say 60 months or 120 months and we'll use that as your income. So those are the alternative quote unquote non-QM methods as far as verifying income that our Canadian nationals or foreign national neighbors can utilize yeah. to get a mortgage. Yeah, very cool. And we've been looking at that. Uh, you know, There are lenders out there that are looking at KPIs, so your key performance indicators on what that rental property can do or what's in that building or in that area and being able to bring that into the loan factor and you know we sp here we speak about front and, and back end tdi um so adding that into that that equation so very cool absolutely and one other key thing to mention too is you and i had discussed the stress test doesn't apply as far as yeah. a lot of these loans with the non-qm products and i think in canada you guys are acclimated to having to go through that additional step as far yeah. as the stress test and fortunately we don't have that here it's just basically your front-end ratio which is your housing payment divided by your gross monthly income and then the back-end ratio which is your total house payment plus all of your revolving installment charge debt divided by your gross monthly income. So we don't have that stress test, which is yeah. just a nice extra. Very cool. I mean, over all these years, what would you say has been one of the craziest file that you've had your hands on or where you were like, what's going on? Or it took a turn for the worst and you, you steered it the right way. I'd love to hear it. Gosh, what, what decade, what year, what month, <laughs> what week? Oh, geez. It seems like it was that way all the time. I, I will say, I think the most challenging files um, or loans that I've encountered are essentially loans where the borrower was involved in multiple corporations, self-employed, there was just a lot of different streams of income coming into the file or coming into the borrower's uh, bank accounts. And sometimes those files are a bit more challenging to get into because you have to have a, a pretty good in-depth knowledge as far as almost from a CPA standpoint, yeah. as far as how to analyze those tax returns, extract the most amount of income while at the same time following the underwriting guidelines as far as not allowing too much income. And so you kind of ride that fine line as far as being able to extract the income, but not giving them too much. And what I've seen in most cases is that the loan officers or processors that I've worked with in times past, they simply didn't have that knowledge. So I always took it upon myself to take a few extra minutes, you know, maybe carve out an extra hour or two and just make sure that they understood how to analyze those tax returns, how to get the most income out of the tax returns that they were reviewing so we could get the most bang for the buck as far as our customer was concerned. Yeah, that's huge. And 
being able to understand and look through the lens of a CPA almost Absolutely. when it comes to that many levels <laughs> when you're talking about you know LLCs hold co's even another level when you're adding a trust company um, it could get pretty wild I imagine yes it could and what I saw typically is that the income was as far as at first glance the loan officer was simply just take the borrower's word for it as far as what their income was and then by the time you got into the tax returns you're like oh gosh this yeah. there's quite a disparity here so you really had to think quickly on your feet yeah. as far as what are the other alternatives that we can offer you know maybe we can put them into this type of a loan program like I mentioned as far as the DSCR the debt service coverage yeah. ratio type of program yeah. so you just had to be able to you know quickly think on your feet as far as shifting gears and thinking about what other alternatives were out there that you could offer and, and speak a bit on the DSCR uh, program as well sure, for, yeah, be for glad the listeners. To. So the DSCR program or debt service coverage ratio program is simply another way to income qualify on a loan. Your traditional methods are going to be, as I mentioned earlier, as far as your full doc income programs where you provide T1s, T4s here in the U.S., W2s, paycheck stubs, your tax returns, 1040s. Um, whereas on the DSCR program, essentially all that we're looking at is we're looking at the appraiser to give us what he or she says as far as comparable rentals for that area and more importantly for our subject property. We simply take that and then we divide it by the actual housing payment for the subject property and as long as that equals 1% or higher, we're great. We're Got good it. to go. And that's just it's honestly that simple whereas you're and we're leaving the borrowers in expenses out of this we're absolutely just, the, just so just for the property yeah we're not yeah. looking at any liabilities we're not looking at other properties and you yeah. know how convoluted that can get when yeah. you're looking at credit reports all the trade lines that they have all the other mortgages yeah. you know if someone owns 50 percent of that property or someone's maybe making auto payments that a borrower co-signed for that's showing up on their credit report so it it, it takes all of that out of the equation, which is very nice because it just is a very simple mathematical computation as far as income qualifying. And then when we talk about the DSCR program, uh, is there also then changes, and maybe speak to the audience about that when we're talking about loan to values or down payments, or do they treat that then differently because we're only looking at, at the income of the of the, the potential income of the property and the expenses that the property carries only and not the borrower? So great question. So whenever we're looking at those types of programs into your question as far as loan to value, there is a little bit of a reduction as far as the loan to value because we're not going as deep as far as verifying truly what the income is as far as the borrower or the borrower's businesses that, that they may own if they're self-employed. We're strictly looking at the cash flow on the subject property. And basically, what is the risk to the lender as far as the cash flow? And making sure that the borrower has consistent income month over month. Yeah. So we want to make sure the listeners that this is not we're not looking at eighty percent or even how low would that would go. Sure. And typically, as far as foreign nationals, especially if there's no U.S. credit, we're typically seeing max LTVs as far as sixty to sixty-five percent. And just to clarify, loan to value being the LTV as far as what I'm referring to. Yeah. Yeah, got it. And then that's for so now on that topic of foreign nationals, that's where that twenty-five to thirty-five is kind of that sweet sweet spot for the down payment. 
hence why it goes to 35 because if you're going to programs like the DSCR where you're only going on based on what the what the property is doing correct yeah yeah, with those DSCR programs, so you're going to see a little bit of a reduction as far as the loan, loan to value. Yeah. But if you go on a more traditional income type of program, as far as where I mentioned the asset depletion program a little bit earlier, as far as dividing that over X amount of months and still having those assets available as monthly income stream, or if you go on a full doc, yeah. uh, traditional route where you're qualifying with T1s, T4s, or W2s, 1040s here in the U.S., or pay check stubs, you know, we can definitely go that route too if, if it's available and if that lender offers that particular program. And then you could actually qualify for more. They may increase the LTV anywhere from 5 to 10% more. So that would equate to a lesser down payment. And, uh, you know, one of the, the questions that we always ask is what would it cost? And, and I think looking through this lens, you know, how could we speak on that question when we look at, let's say, the borrower side or the lender or when we bring in even the, the, the realtor side of things? Um, please speak on that. Sure, I'd be glad to. So from a borrower perspective, you know, for me, having the experience that I do have, um, I'm able to look at something very quickly and scan it to be able to determine, does this borrower have the ability to repay? Do I have everything that I need to in this file to make it work to be able to render or issue a decision? Yeah. And so it, it for me, it, it took a few years to be able to gain that knowledge and to be able to quickly look at something and make that determination. Whereas I think in years past, I, I didn't have that experience. And I think someone newer, you know, another lender or someone that just hasn't done what I've done, that they wouldn't be able to do that. So it helps the borrower in the fact that we're able to move things through more quickly, more efficiently yeah. and speak to them and give them answers with confidence. Yeah. And from a realtor standpoint, it's pretty much the re reciprocity or reciprocal of that as far as being able to do that same thing, because what is a real estate agent going to want? They're going to want to say, you know, Niels, Ethan, can you give us a pre-approval before we start driving these guys around and showing them properties or, you know, maybe giving them an expectation that's unrealistic. So I think having that ability to be able to do that and to give that information to our customers and to our realtors and even our loan officers that we're working with or our business development managers internally, I think that's absolutely imperative so that we can get that white glove service, make sure that our customers are taken care of and not just helping them out from a singular transaction, but helping them out more so from an overall financial level so that we're able to, you know, extend just beyond the mortgage itself. We're actually thinking about their long-term goals and their yeah. budgets and what's going to help them and what's best for their families yeah so for the immediate really being able to cut through time on if what what has legs or what doesn't or guiding let's say the bar hey come back when you're in this direction or hey we're ready realtor let's go this file let's move it along they're ready to go you know really from a time efficiency for short term and then when we're looking at long term guiding someone into their long-term goals if it's just owning one property or potentially expanding is what i'm hearing absolutely yeah. and that's and that is what the goal is right it's yeah. to be able to help them out and be able to service them and help them meet their financial needs you know what is their end goal how do we help you get there talk to me about what your future looks like a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, yeah. um, as far as expanding your family or, or maybe even moving, or of course, maybe coming down here to Florida, buying a second or a rental home. How do we factor into that and how can we help you guys out? That's what we're here for. And that's how we can help you strategize and get you into your end goal. Yeah, very cool. Well, 
it's been amazing so far on, on having experience, you know, talking to you and, and like I said, a walking encyclopedia when it comes to mortgages. So it's always a pleasure. I, I'm so excited about the time that we have moving forward, what we have now and the files that we have in the mix already. So uh, it's been a pleasure and it's My awesome pleasure. to have you Thank on you today. Thank you for having me. It's been, it's been awesome. Looking forward to it. And we're going to, we're just going to make wonderful things happen and look forward to working with our customers and our realtors. Awesome. Everybody, thank you at home for listening and tuning in to What Would It Cost Florida. Have a great day until the next one.